Welcome to Great Minds with Michael Medved. A lot of people look at our history seeing a pattern of happy accidents, but a pattern of happy accidents is still a pattern. It's evidence of intelligent design, not random evolution. A production of the Discovery Institute. On this episode... You write about the impact of both the Big Bang Theory and Einstein's general theory of relativity on the traditional arguments against the existence of God. Right. Does the universe have a beginning or not? It's it's just an absolutely fascinating episode in the history of science that during the last century, scientists were effectively able to answer that question. It's an ancient question that goes all the way back to the Greeks. Is the universe finite or infinite? Is it eternal and self-existent? Or did it perhaps require a creator beyond itself? The evidence that the universe had a beginning was startling and shocking, and it upset a lot of philosophical sensibilities. That and more on this episode of Great Minds with Michael Medved. Here's Michael. Welcome to this edition of Great Minds with Michael Medved, where my guest is Dr. Stephen Meyer, who has kindly agreed to join us in discussing one of the most substantive, explosive, controversial issues imaginable, scientific evidence, not philosophical, but scientific evidence for the existence of God. That's right. On this show, we don't hesitate to tackle the most controversial subjects, subjects that never go away because they are so important and they are, in fact, eternal. Yet also, because uh, we're candid about it, they're also so very, very divisive. Now, many people would shy away from raising the topic of science and God, and particularly of science for God. But Steve Meyer never has. Steve is a friend, and he directs the Center for Science and Culture at Discovery Institute here in Seattle, which uh, produces this show. And in his best-selling books, Signature in the Cell and Darwin's Doubt, Steve has fearlessly challenged, uh, challenged some of the reigning orthodoxy about science and the origins of life and the origins of animal life and intelligent animal life. Now, as if this wasn't controversial enough, I want to talk about his next book project, which he's working on right now, and which actually was reflected in a award-winning journal essay he wrote in a peer-reviewed journal. That essay was called The Return of the God Hypothesis. The audience can find that essay along with more information about Steve and his work on this show's home on the internet. That's mindswithmedved.com. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe so you can be the first to find out about future episodes and also so that you can donate to make sure that uh, these episodes, these programs continue. Steve, one of the most obvious questions about you're writing an essay called The Return of the God Hypothesis, is it seems to confirm all those terrible things that people have said about you over the years, which is that the so-called intelligent design movement, of which you are a leader, is really just a Trojan horse for people who are trying to allow for a religious comeback. Why would you risk confirming all these dark fears by talking about the return of the God hypothesis. Great question. We're, we're in kind of a double bind because we're also accused of being disingenuous and not willing to address these deeper questions. So when people say intelligent design is religion, we've said, no, it's not religion. It's based on uh, scientific evidence and established method of scientific reasoning. And the evidence of intelligent design in biology gets you to the conclusion 
that a designing intelligence of some kind must have played a role in the origin and history of life. But that leads to a second-order question, a more philosophical question, granted, and that is, what is the nature or the identity of that designing intelligence? Who do you think designed life and the universe? And I actually think there's other scientific evidence that helps to answer that question. So the, this isn't a... Um, one of the distinctions that we've made is we're not like uh, many biblical creationists who base their theories on an interpretation of the book of Genesis. We're making an inference to intelligent design based on biological evidence. But I think there's other evidence from physics and cosmology that actually helps answer the question of the likely identity of the designer responsible for life in the universe. And so I am interested finally in what is, what's the truth about these big questions. And so I get asked who do you think the designer is? And I actually have an opinion about that. And I've developed that in this article that you mentioned. Okay. You also write in the article about the rise and you say fall of some of the traditional arguments for God's existence. And you separate those arguments into cosmological arguments and design arguments. What's the difference? The, the cosmological argument is the, the argument from, for, from the first cause or the need for a first cause to explain the first effect. And there are a couple different forms of cosmological argument, but one of the popular ones in the Middle Ages was known as the Kalam cosmological argument. And it went like this, whatever begins to exist must have a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe must have a cause separate from itself. We call that cause God, said the medieval philosophers. That argument fell into some, not so much disrepute, but just uh, disrepair in the period of the Enlightenment, as many people said, well, uh, we will grant you the first premise that whatever begins to exist must have a cause, but how do we really know the universe had a beginning? And there wasn't really a scientific way to settle that question. There were some philosophical arguments against what were called actual infinites, but there was no decided scientific evidence for a beginning to the universe. And it became more and more the default view during the 19th century and into the early 20th century that the universe was eternal and self-existent. Um, it, it was infinite in time and space. It didn't have a beginning. So that in a sense, matter was the thing from which everything else came, matter and energy. Is that related to what they used to call the steady state theory? Right. The steady state was actually an attempt in the 1940s and 50s to resuscitate that kind of default view coming into the beginning of the century that was challenged by the discovery that the universe did have a beginning, what we now call the Big Bang Theory. And you write about the impact of both the Big Bang Theory and Einstein's general theory of relativity on the traditional arguments uh, against uh, the existence of God. Right. Uh, <clears throat> if that second premise is the key premise, does the universe have a beginning or not, it was a fa it's, it's just an absolutely fascinating uh, episode in the history of science that during the last century, scientists were effectively able to answer that question. It's an ancient question that goes all the way back to the Greeks. Is the universe finite or infinite? Is it eternal and self-existent? Or did it perhaps require a creator beyond itself? Well, the evidence that the universe had a beginning was startling and shocking, and it, it upset a lot of philosophical sensibilities. But it started in the 19-teens with Einstein's um, formulation of the theory of general relativity. His field equations implied that there had been a beginning. And then in the 1920s and 30s, the observational astronomers, in particular Edwin Hubble, uh, found evidence from, of, of an expanding universe that suggested that if the universe was expanding in the forward direction of time, if you went backwards in time, that eventually all the galaxies that were moving away from us now would have been clumping closer and closer together, eventually getting back to a, a, a place where they would have all congealed, marking the beginning of the universe itself. 
So it was a striking kind of twofold um, dis discovery in theoretical physics and, and then it, separately in astronomy, uh, scientists came to the, the conclusion that the universe had a beginning for, from two separate lines of evidence. Okay, I know that this is something that my late father tried to explain to me. My, my father, who you know I well, met your wonderful father. Yes, yeah. uh, was a solid-state physicist. Right. And um, the, the, the challenge to people who believe that, well, somehow, if, if the universe all began in a little microscopic and there was a big bang and it's been exploding ever since... And expanding ever since, uh, part of the way that's answered is what's called a multiverse theory, and I, I, it's very difficult to wrap your mind around it. Can you explain what is that? Well, right there, there's a there's a, a second wrinkle on the discovery of the, the 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 cosmological discovery. The first wave is that the universe had a definite beginning. The second wave came in cosmological physics or in, in theoretical physics, and that was the discovery that in addition to the universe having a beginning. The universe, was, the universe was finely tuned in its configuration of matter and in the strength of, and relationship of the fundamental laws from the beginning. So the universe had a beginning, but it was finely tuned from the beginning, such that we live in a kind of Goldilocks universe where the fundamental forces of uni the universe, the expansion rate of the universe, the speed of light, all of these different parameters are not too strong, not too weak, not too fast, not too slow. Everything is just right to allow for the possibility of life. Well, I know that's the argument about privileged planet, which we've talked about before, about right. planet Earth. So the, how does that apply to the larger universe, which is, of course, infinitely larger than this little one speck? Exactly. The Privileged Planet is a book about the fine-tuning of our Earth and local solar system. It turns out that there's a deeper, more fundamental fine-tuning that affects the very laws of physics themselves. And the initial configuration of matter at the very, or what physicists call mass energy at the very beginning of the universe. And that's where the multiverse comes in because many physicists starting in about the 50s and 60s with uh, in particular Fred Hoyle, who'd been an advocate of the steady state idea, yeah. a staunch atheist because of discoveries that he made related, uh, uh, discoveries of fine tuning parameters that he himself made, came to the conclusion that there must be an intelligence behind, behind the universe. He said, in fact, that a, common sense interpretation of the evidence suggests a super intellect has monkeyed with physics and chemistry to make life possible. The dramatic shift in his worldview as the result of these discoveries. Did he really use the term monkey? Monkeyed. He did. <laughs> you know, I, I like that. kind of a little bar Darwinian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The monkeys make it into the origins theories, even if it's the physics origins. Even yeah. if it's a super intellect yeah. monkey. Yeah, exactly. Um, isn't that fascinating? It is fascinating. Anyway, the multiverse comes in at that point because people say we can't actually have intelligent design is the explanation for the origin of the universe. And they then posit, and there were some physics justifications of this, but they posit not just one universe, the one that is beautifully finely tuned in which we live, but many, many, many other universes. In fact, so many that they would render our universe or, or universe with life-friendly conditions probable somewhere. And then the, po the, the supposition was that we just happen to be the somewhere, the lucky ones who are in the life-friendly universe. I see. Now, do they concede that we are the only intelligent life in this universe? They don't concede that. No, but they would concede that the 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 fine-tuning parameters appear incredibly improbable from our point of view. And what they, they attempt to explain that improbability away by positing the existence of all these other universes, a gabillion others, uh, that are dis causally disconnected to ours, but exist somewhere. Uh, okay, that seems like a philosophical argument. What I've 
What I found it difficult to grasp is there is at least a claim that there is some scientific evidence of the existence of other universes. No scientific evidence of the existence of the other universes, but some theoretical models in physics that would render the belief in them at least plausible. Um, The problem comes in for the multiverse, though, in that for the probabilities in our universe to be affected, there must be some causal connection between the different universes or at least some common cause that produced them all so that we could think of our universe as kind of the winner of a, uh, of, a, of a lottery, a big cosmic lottery. We're the lucky winner of a cosmic lottery. But for that to be true, there has to be some universe-generating mechanism that's spitting out lots of other universes so that there's some connection, at least a common cause. Is, is the theory that the other universes are uh, governed by the same laws of physics? Oh, no, they would have uh, maybe other laws of physics and other fine-tuning parameters. That's the whole idea. I then then okay. the, the unique set that we have would be one of uh, a great ensemble of possibilities. But, the but dip- you're saying there's no scientific evidence. We haven't gotten some radio no, transmission. No, 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 no nothing no. like that. In fact, the very concept of a universe is, you know, <laughs> the, the, the net total of all that is. So it's a little bit contradictory at that level philosophically. But here's the rub. The, 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 theor- the models of theoretical physics that have been proposed to explain where these other universes would come from, so-called universe-generating mechanisms, have invariably themselves required prior fine-tuning <laughs> to... Explain how you would even get these other universes. So you need to come back to mind. You you have fine-tuning is a product of mind. And that brings us to the other explanation, the other argument, the argument by design. Exactly. But now notice something. Whereas the, the argument for design that I've made in biology involves the origin of events, the origin of life and animal form that arise arises along the cosmic timeline well after the beginning of the universe such that it's at least logically possible that it might be produced by an intelligent agent within the cosmos someplace after the beginning. The evidence from fine-tuning suggests a transcendent form of intelligence because it's prior to the existence and even possible existence of any entity within the cosmos that could be alive. In other words, no intelligent agent can be the product of the very laws of physics that apply to it and that make its life possible. Hmm. So this evidence of design I think points to a transcendent source, just as the Big Bang itself points to the need for a transcendent cause of the universe. So, whereas the argument from design and biology leaves open the question of the of the nature and identity of the designing intelligence, it might be imminent within the cosmos or a transcendent designer, the evidence from physics and cosmology points in a decidedly transcendent direction such that when you take these all these classes of evidence together, and this is the argument that I make in the paper, um, that the best explanation is theistic design, not a space alien, not a deistic creator who creates at the beginning and, the, and then never has anything more to do with the creation because we have evidence of design down the timeline in biology. So not a deistic creator, not a space alien, not a pantheistic notion of God because that notion of God is a God that has no mind, no conscious agency. That's a, an impersonal connection or energy force. Only theism that posits a God who creates at the beginning but then acts after the beginning can explain the whole ensemble of the evidence. When you were talking about down the timeline, evidence of a participation in God after this initial Big Bang, and because we're talking now about the return of the God hypothesis, right? are you talking about the Cambrian explosion? Cambrian explosion, origin of life, maybe other discrete events in the history of life where we see a massive infusion of biological or genetic information in order to account for for the patterns we see in the fossil record. Okay, your colleague Michael Denton 
has taken this idea of fine-tuning. And I should explain that when you talk about the fine-tuning for people who haven't read about this, it's really extraordinary. I mean, all the things that allow us to be sitting here and having this conversation, aside from these complicated machines that human beings have invented, require so many particulars and unlikely particulars of temperature and the way that the uh, atmosphere is composed and the way that the gravity is implied, the, the size the of the The balance between the fundamental forces of gravitation and the strong and weak nuclear force, the expansion rate of the universe, and the, the fine-tuning is to an exquisite degree. Um, there's one fine-tuning parameter that uh, is hyper-exponentially fine-tuned. It's the, it's the original configuration. Uh, it's the... It's, they call it the, the fine-tuning of the entropy. It has to do with the original arrangement of the ma mass energy at the beginning of the universe. It's hyper-exponentially hyper fine-tuned, which means it's fine-tuned to one part in 10 to the 10 to the 123. We can't even get our mind around a number that big. It's an extremely Wait, uh, tiny uh, uh, tolerance. Uh, uh, that's bigger than the national debt. You're bigger I mean, than the national debt, you're, exactly. You're, a 10? 10? 10 to the 10th, and then raising that number to the 123rd power. There are more zeros in that number than there are elementary particles in the entire universe. And it's one part in that enormous number. This way or that way in life would not be possible. I, I'm just trying to absorb that. I, I hope everybody out there is as well. Okay, so Michael Denton right, says that right. you apply this argument of fine-tuning not just to the Big Bang, but to other aspects of planet, existence. Planet Earth, the, the, the distance of the Earth from the sun, the properties of water. He's just come out with a fascinating new book on the, the amazing multiple properties of water that make life possible. Um, so there, there are many fine-tuning parameters. Jay Richards and Guillermo Gonzalez, and you've interviewed Jay, uh, have, have developed a really interesting fine-tuning hypothesis just about the need for the, the different parameters that are necessary to make life on Earth possible, and that the, curiously, those same parameters make it possible for us to discover the, the basic structure of the universe. Okay, if you discover, and I, I, uh, I've interviewed Dr. Gonzalez on, yeah. the, on the radio show, right. uh, if you do discover some intelligent life on some other planet uh, some point in the future, does that blow this fine-tuning argument out of the water? No, I don't think so. Um, th there would be different. There are different fine-tuning arguments, but the fundamental fine-tuning is the fine-tuning of the basic laws and constants of physics, the the strength of those fundamental forces, and they apply throughout the whole universe. And the 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 thing about them is that they're necessary conditions of there being life at all anywhere in the universe. So um, they make pot. They make it, in fact, possible to consider that there might be life in other places. But um, the uh, the there, there are other considerations that may have made some astronomers skeptical about that. In fact, two uni local University of Washington uh, uh, astronomers, uh, Peter Ward and colleague, I'm dropping his name right now, but they wrote a book called, uh, uh, oh, Don Brownlee uh, wrote a book called Rare Earth. And whereas um, there are lots and lots of possible planets and galaxies out there, the, the, the number of factors that have to be just right to make life possible actually render all those other planets small in comparison to the, the number of things you need to get right. So they're actually skeptical that there would be a lot of life-friendly planets. As Dorothy said, there's no place like home. No place like home. Yeah. yeah. Um, you had an interesting encounter with a, um, an atheist, prominent atheist cosmologist named Lawrence Krauss. Right. Tell us about that. Well, it was a debate at the University of Toronto, and I came into the debate hoping to discuss this issue of the cosmological origins 
And he uh, started the debate with a fair amount of personal invective. <laughs> and we ended up only debating my ideas about intelligent design and biology. And it was somewhat, uh, it wasn't my best performance. I got a migraine in the middle of the, uh, my opening statement. Um, and uh, I couldn't see my slides anymore, which was a little difficult. But um, we were, we, it was, it came out kind of well because uh, at the end we, we got some good exchanges. And then Richard Dawkins weighed in, and I'd never been able to lure him into a, a direct exchange. Dawkins defended Krauss. Uh, who claimed that uh, I had misrepresented the Darwinian mechanism by by claiming that there was an element of randomness in it. And uh, many evolutionary biologists ended up attacking Krauss, saying that he was misrepresenting um, the Darwinian mechanism. Dawkins weighed in to say, well, this Meyer, he doesn't understand that Darwinism uh, doesn't is a, is a non-random process or that natural selection is a non-random process. It's true that natural selection is non-random, but the random mutations it acts on are are completely random. And it's for that very reason that they can't explain the origin of new information. If you've got a section of functioning digital code and you start introducing ran random changes to that code, you're going to degrade that information long before you get a new program or operating system. And the same problem applies in biology and in the origin of the genetic information we need to make new forms of life. So I got to make that argument in print. My response went viral. And so we kept the debate going in print and it worked out pretty well. Okay, that's why we need the return of the God hypothesis. Is that going to be the title of the book? Don't know yet. I'm you know, still conceiving of it, but it's uh, I'm building on these articles I've written with some new stuff that I'm doing in cosmology. Well, Steve, thank you for your contributions and thank you for being with us for these amazing and mind-blowing, really to use a 60s term, uh, conversations that we've been able to have. And if you want more information about Steve's work, uh, and about forthcoming programs of Great Minds with Michael Medved, go to our internet home, which is mindswithmedved.com. You can get information about Steve's work. You can sign up. You can also subscribe on iTunes as well uh, for mindswithmedved.com. And, um, and, and by the way, you're very much encouraged to donate to support this programming. Stay tuned and find out about other uh, offerings from this series, Great Minds with Michael Medved. Thanks for listening to Great Minds with Michael Medved, available at mindswithmedved.com. Great Minds with Michael Medved is produced by Jeremy Steiner and Greg Tomlin and is copyrighted by Discovery Institute 2018.